if you have a Bible, open to the book of James. So James is in the New Testament. Um, if, you don't, if you didn't bring a copy of the scriptures with you, we're going to have some of the verses on the screen. You can also uh, use your phone if you want the digital approach tonight. Um, so we're, we're starting uh, James tonight, and the title of our series is called Keep It Real. Um, and that's because that's what James is all about. James is, is talking about what a real uh, experience as a Jesus follower looks like, what, what real faith looks like, faith that works. And James is um, personally a very important book to me because uh, God saved me actually reading through the book of James one summer after I graduated um, from college, and uh, God just used it in incredible ways. And, and what we're going to see about James, we'll talk about this in a second, is James is a really kind of in-your-face book of the Bible and um, doesn't really pull any punches, but I, I like that. I like that for us because when, when we think about this group of young adults, um, what we want to be is we want to be a, a transformed community that works to, be, to bring kingdom transformation. So we want to be a people who we've been transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of the spirit of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, that's, that's our prayer. That's our desire for each and every one of you is that that transformation would happen in your life. And that out of that, we would be a kingdom people bringing uh, kingdom transformation. Now, one thing that has to be really clear, and we'll probably say a version of this every week, our activity is not the center of attention. So if, if you get nervous in the book of James, you'll actually be in good company. People throughout church history have gotten, gotten nervous with the book of James. But if you get nervous with the book of James, it's, it's not our activity that we want to be at the center of attention, but the one who makes our good deeds possible is the one that we want to be to, 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 on display. And what the reality that we want to just kind of uncover every week is that if we are indeed a transformed and changed people, that has to show up in our, in our, in our life. Um, and, and what God, through the gospel, has called us is to be these incarnate people, meaning that we, we, we go to the hardest places, we go to the hardest people, we do what we see in the gospel Jesus doing, walking among, living and loving and serving and caring. And that, that's the kind of people that we want to be. We want to be uh, people whose transformed lives testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what James is going to do is he's going to lay out for us the activity of, of the gospel. Because the gospel is all about our believing that impacts our living. There's one guy who said that the gospel is God's word that works. Gospel is God's word that works. And, and James is writing to challenge us with the tension of what we say we believe and how we live our lives. The, the tension of what we say we believe and the reality of how we live our lives. If, if, there is a, if there's a knock on Christianity that I hear all the time, it's that, well, y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. It's true. We are. But we don't have to be. <laughs> and so what James is going to really press into us, and what I'm asking God to press into us, uh, is just that. That, okay, there's one thing that you say that you believe but your life looks totally different. And so what we're going to endeavor to do over the next month or so, however long it kind of takes us to get through James, um, is, is James is going to get all up in our personal space over this. Um, and, and he's saying, look, if you believe what you say believe, there should be some evidence of that. Um, if you grew up kind of like I did, I, I grew up um, in a church culture where the believing part was huge, right? So we um, would have something called an altar call at the end of a service. Anybody ever grow up in, in one of those environments? 
sermons. Glory to God. And so we, we had these altar calls and, you know, you'd have to walk down the aisle and you'd have to sign a form and they'd call you up and, you know, is everybody bow your head and I see that hand doing, you know, is there another, the whole thing. I kind of grew up in that. I went to camps where at the end of the big week, they'd take us all out to this huge field and we would all be sweaty. And this was in Florida and, and getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And then some guy would tell us this crazy story about high school kids who died in a car wreck and they all went to hell, and then he's like, if you don't want to go to hell, you better throw a stick in the fire right now. And so, of course, like, everyone's like, all right, I'll throw that stick. And so that was the thing, throwing sticks and signing papers and walking aisles. I mean, that believe, that believing culture, that was kind of what I grew up in. And, and in many ways, I'm very thankful for that because that was, I, I was exposed to just the, who the person of Jesus Christ is. But I, I think what, 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 I never really started to get until, honestly, um, God just made it all click with the book of James, is that until what you believe starts to infiltrate and transform the way you live, you really can't be that sure about what you believe. Until what you say you believe starts to infiltrate and transform the way you live, I don't really see how you can be so sure about what it is that you say you believe. And that's what James is going to challenge us with, is kind of reconciling that. If, there, if, there's, if there's a gap between what you say, believe, and the, and the way you live, closing that gap is the way that we know that we really do have true faith in Jesus. And closing that gap is also the way that the world knows that there's a different way to live and a different way to life. Now, just a brief kind of description on James um, James is the brother of Jesus. James was a pastor, um, one of the early, early church fathers. And he's writing to the church that is dispersed. He's writing to a predominantly Jewish um, audience that's under persecution, that's, that's been scattered. And, and he's going to talk about this tension of doing. It's a, it's, if, if you've been around church, you've kind of heard the terms law and grace. And James is going to help us. Um, just kind of wade into and lean into this tension of there's well there's law, and there's also grace. Um, uh, most scholars believe that this is actually the first book of the New Testament. Paul hasn't written any of his letters yet, and James, with this Jewish background, seeing Jesus, um, he 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 knows that the the perfect law of God brings freedom. That the law that God gave his people, that brings freedom. That's why God gave it to his people. But he also knows that Jesus has come. So he completely lives in the tension of law and, and grace. Um, James is also kind of a sporadic book. Maybe that's why I like it so much. But as you're kind of reading through James, you're going to see that he, he jumps from topic to topic a little bit. So we've got kind of an ADD author and an ADD pastor. This is going to be a really fun series for us. Um, but we're going to get right into it. Let, let me pray and ask God to help us. Uh, and then we'll look at James chapter 1 tonight. God, we love you. And uh, God, just like we sang tonight, God, we, we're, we're breathing in and out uh, your grace, your, your favor that we don't deserve, that we certainly haven't earned. And um, God, I'm just asking for more of that favor tonight as we open your word. God, we, we want to hear from you. Um, and God, just like this book says, we don't want to be people who simply hear and then don't do anything with it. But God, we pray for grace to hear. And we, God, we pray for grace in our doing as well. Um, Jesus, this is always about you. I love you. Um, and I pray that you are more and more famous in our lives and in the lives of those that we interact with because of our time that we spend with you tonight. 
It's in your name I pray. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to uh, the word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this word doulos, which means slave. And so James starts his letter right away, and he assumes this humble position under the lordship of Christ. And, And what he's going to enter into right now is he's going to talk about this faith that saves us is also a faith that works. Faith in Christ that brings us to life is a faith that moves us towards everything that we will eventually become. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and perhaps you're familiar with this verse, but let me, let me read this. He says, for it is by grace that you've been saved. So I'm going to say this over and over again throughout this series, that we are not saved by works. We are not saved by anything that we do. We are saved by grace. This undeserved unmerited favor of God. One of my favorite definitions of grace is the superabundance of God himself. I, I think it's completely appropriate that if you define grace as the person of Jesus Christ, so if grace for you is too conceptual and you're like, I, I just don't get it. I mean, I hear that word a lot. It's what I'm supposed to do before I eat, right? This is what I'm supposed to say. But, but grace, if you think, okay, if I think the person of Jesus Christ Everything that he did in his life, everything that he accomplished in his death and his resurrection, that is grace. So if it helps you to kind of personify that just so that it makes it more real to you, so it goes from being a concept to, oh, I have a personal relationship with grace, that's totally, totally appropriate. But so we are saved, uh, that, that faith that saves us, and, and it says this in, in, in verse 8, Ephesians 2, through, we have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. All right, so we hear that. Everybody says amen to that. I love that. Okay, saved by grace, through faith. I got it. I got it. Now, verse 10 is usually the verse that gets left off when we are going through, um, when we're going through this Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 um, kind of section of scripture. It says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you're, the faith that has saved you empowers you for a reason. And the scripture says to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Again, now this is Paul writing. So we got James, now we got Paul, and they're both saying your believing should impact your living. Yes, by grace. No, not by works. God created you brand new again to do good works. And it's what we believe that impacts what we live out. Paul also writes to the uh, Philippian church in, in Philippians chapter 2. I don't, we don't have the verses up. Just write this down. Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So Paul's not with them right now. Continue. This is a really can be a very tricky phrase for some of us. Continue to work out your salvation. But wait a minute, I thought you just said that it's not by works. And now this guy is saying, well, work it out. Right. So continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And verse 13 helps us with the whole thing. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So work out your salvation. What Paul is saying there is like, look, God put his grace into your life so that you would work it out of you. God gave you grace to bring you to life. You did nothing to contribute to that. That's what the scripture teaches. God put his grace in you to bring you to life. And now he gives you grace to work it out of your life. So he breathes life into you, makes you alive 
so that you would work out of that same grace in your life. Now, when we get into this tension, there's two words that you probably hear a lot. There's this word legalism. Anybody ever hear legalism? Okay, legalism, boo, that's the bad guy. We hate legalism, right? And then there's grace. Yay, grace. Grace means I can do whatever I want, right? So legalism is all about how you performed. It's church talk for all the things that you can't do, right? Because if you do all the things that you can't do, then you get some, something happens to you called backslidden. Right? Anybody ever been heard about that? Are you backslidden, son? I guess you get that a lot, right? Mostly because I was backslidden. Um, so legalism, the, we, we hear that. That's all the things that, that, that you can't do. But grace, so grace comes in like this hero because grace now is like, oh, man, all bets are off. That's, how, that's what we think. And, and we kind of live in this tension because people are like, man, you're talking a lot about grace. And people get really nervous when you start talking about grace because now they're going to say, well, you're just giving them a license to sin. And so we pendulum swing so often back and forth, but there's legalism, right? These are all the things that we can't do, and then there's grace. Like, this are, these are all the things that, that, I, that I can do. But what God is saying to us in his word is that that tension in between that space is actually very good for us. And we're not going to try to resolve that tension because we should trust God for his grace, and out of that grace, we work in our confidence in God in a way that produces fruit in this world. We become alive spiritually, the scripture teaches us, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. That's the only way to be saved and forgiven and to have life, by grace through faith in Jesus. So what does it look like to work out our salvation? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, listen to this. This is what it looks like. So you're made alive by grace so that you would work out that grace. What's that look like in life? Listen to what Paul says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Oh, I so wish it would have been something else. Like if he would have just said, look, just don't murder a bunch of people. Like that would have been so much easier. But Paul says, this is how you work it out. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So here's what it looks like when grace is working out of us. Grace, should, it should minimize our complaining about everything else. Grace says that God is my defender, so I don't have to argue my cause. I don't have to prove that I'm always right. So I don't know about you guys, but those two things right there just absolutely nailed me. Like, no complaining, and don't try to prove that I'm always right. And the reason is, is because Jesus is the one who is blameless, and Jesus is the one who is pure. And his covering over me, his grace over me, is where I rest and where I rely. Okay, back to the book of James. Because how do, we have to, again, we got to establish all of that, right? So that, yes, saved by grace, so that we would work out grace in our lives. Now, James presents us with a perfect opportunity for, like, where the rubber meets the road on this in, in, in chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. L- listen, to what, listen to what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Okay, we can handle that. Verse 2, second part of that verse. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, that makes no sense. So consider it pure joy. So is James just kind of this, like, 
sadomasochist kind of guy, like, okay, uh, man, that's terrible. I'm going to laugh through it. No, he's saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because, and this is why, this is why we can have that joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, which everybody, we can't wait to get perseverance. We're AA, right? Verse four, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, so let's just kind of work through what James is saying here. He uses the word brothered, so he's talking about he loves these people. That's a term of endearment toward them. Now, when he says count it all joy, because that's, a, that's an, kind of an odd phrase, especially in the context of when you encounter various trials. What he's saying is, church, make a definitive decision to be joyful. Now, the emphasis is on the quality of joy, meaning you are supremely satisfied. It's not rooted in your circumstances. It's rooted in Jesus. It's a, it's a remarkable statement. It's, it's a command, right? Because he's telling us this is what you do. It's an imperative statement to us. It's, but it's remarkable considering what follows because he says when, not if. When, not if. You encounter trials of various kinds. So James is not talking about the consequences of your sin, Right? When you're like, man, I cannot believe I just failed that exam. Well, yes, you can, because you never went to class and you never studied. You should believe that. Receive that grade, right? Or, man, I can't believe I have no money. You maxed out every credit card you have. Believe it. You're broke, right? That's not what, those are not trials. That's all stupidity. You earned it. Whatever you get, you earned it. James, when he's talking about trials, it means the persecution that you face as a result of your faith or result of your beliefs or being a Christ follower. Now, that doesn't feel as real to us in our context, in our culture, in our society, because we, we let's just face it, encounter a ton of religious freedom. But it means if you're persecuted because of your faith, because of your belief, or, now this also is included in it, and this is more common to us, or things or difficulties that are common to people in life. So illness, like certain financial reversals, persecution due to social or economic climate, so whatever you encounter kind of in those spheres, the proper response in those things is to rejoice. And when he's talking about testing, it's the same process that they would use when gold is refined, right? So it goes under intense um, heat, intense pressure, and the impurities rise um, in, the, in, the, in the dross. And he's talking about that type of process in your life because it produces this steadfastness or this perseverance. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a staying power. There's a, a, a phrase, heroic endurance, that's what James is saying. That is the, that's the purpose of those trials in your life. It's different than patience, right? So patience is something that's towards people. Steadfastness or perseverance is towards circumstances. Now, it's not, it's not just this meek, passive kind of submission to circumstances like, okay, here's a trial. I'm just going to wear it. What James is talking about, he's talking about a strong, active, challenging response in which the satisfying realities of Christianity or a life with Christ are proven in that practice. The, James is saying, look, you, you need to respond to these trials with joy because it knows that they're going to work to produce a deeper, stronger, more certain faith. Um, and, and Paul tells us the same thing he, in the book of Romans. He's like, look, this suffering, it's going to produce endurance. Again, 
your, the grace in your life, the faith in your life has to work. And in trials is the place where you see it working, I think, the, the hardest and working the best. Because why? Because when the full effect of it, when the perfect maturity happens, James says that this process is going to have its full effect. Um, it, it's the same kind of thing. Have you ever gone to, like, have you ever been sick and you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a certain medication and he's like, okay, now look, you've got to take all of it. We, do, we, we usually will stop, right? We'll take two and be like, oh, I feel better. It totally worked. But you have to take all of it so that it will work its full effect. It's the same idea here. But, but that's so tough for us because whenever we can find the first off-ramp for trials, we take it. So whenever there's an easy way out for whatever the particular trial is, so, so let's say like in a particular social context or maybe in a professional context, in a relational context, there's persecution because of your beliefs, because of your faith, and the off-ramp is, well, okay, I spoke up once, but if I never bring it up again, I won't get ridiculed at work, I won't get ridiculed in class, I won't get uninvited to the places I want to go, I won't have this person, I won't have this relational persecution, I won't have this opportunity taken away from me. And so I take this off-ramp of like, okay, I'm just going to shut it down, right? I'm, I'm just going to kind of stop talking about it. And we look for the quickest, most pain-free detour we, we can find. But James says, look, let that run its course in your life because it's going to make you perfect and complete as a result of your response to these trials. And in verse 5, James um, tells us exactly kind of how we Another step in responding to this. He says, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, and that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So again, James is getting kind of tough with us. He says, look, ask for, for wisdom. This is the virtue that provides direction for the Christian life. It's insight into the, to the will of God. And the, the way that it's applied to life is, is, is through wisdom. And wisdom is needed for taking those steps in maturity, taking those steps um, in the midst of, of trials. And James says that when you ask God, he's going to give it to you generously. He's going to give it to you graciously. Um, one version says, without reproach. Which means when you go to and ask for wisdom, God is not going to bring up all these things from your past and be like, oh, now you're asking for wisdom. Well, look at this foolish thing you did over here. Look at, the, look at this foolish thing that you did over there. Look at, look at this harmful attitude of this harmful practice of their harmful behavior. Now you're going to ask for wisdom? That's kind of what we expect in, in a lot of relationships, Right? We make a mistake, and then, you know, someone at one point told us, hey, I wouldn't do that. We go ahead and do it anyway, and then we go back to them, and we're just like, man, I am just going to get the biggest, fattest, I told you so, right now. But James says, God doesn't treat us that way. When we ask for wisdom, he's gracious, he's generous, without reproach. But, but he says, look, when you ask, give, or when you ask, ask with confidence in an unwavering God. Because he says when we don't, we're, 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 we're like a people that are tossed in the sea. We're, we're double-minded. We're un, un, unstable. Um, if you've ever been out to eat with me, you'll get a perfect picture of this. Because I, like, absolutely get crippled 
when it's time to order off a menu. Because I look at something and I was like, okay, I want that, but do I want that? Or do I, do I want the special or do I want this other thing? Do I want this or this? And it takes me a, a good like 15 minutes to try to get my order out. And, and, I'm, and I'm just like, that definitely just got spit in because that was terrible, that ordering thing. And, and sometimes we're kind of like that. Like we're asking God for something, but we're not asking for it. Or we, we don't believe that he's really gonna do it or don't really trust. We're like, okay, I know I'm asking, but, I, but it really depends on me. So I'm going to ask because it's the thing I'm supposed to do, but I'm also, I know it's, you're not going to come through, so I'm just going to make it happen on my own. And we do that all the time, and James says, don't do that when you're asking for wisdom. Ask for God, confident in who he is, a God who gives generously and graciously, single-focused, wholehearted, and the, and the need for this in our generation, I think, is just absolutely critical. And here, here's ultimately why, and this is where, there's where we end. If you go down to verse 22, um, and and in James chapter 1. Listen to what he says. And, and this kind of gets us back where we just kind of circle around to this whole idea that it's faith that works. He says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. He says, if you just listen, you're deceiving yourself. But he says in verse 22, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looked like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Um, you ever leave 710, some of you who <laughs> who've been to 710 before, you, you come to 710 and it's just like a really great night. Like you meet somebody new, maybe you got like a new community, you meet new people. Um, the way that the guys have led us in worship, it's like, man, that's just really good, right? There is a, a small probability that the message was decent and but, or whatever reason, God just like said something to you that night. God just really moved you, re- revealed something to your heart and you just were really just woke up to who God is. And you're like, man, that was such a great night. And then on the way home, or once you get home, or once you get to the place that you're going, you just do something, like, really stupid. And it's just one of those things where you're like, how in the world did that just happen? Like, I just went from this place where I was hearing about God, and I was singing to God, and I was singing about God, and I opened his word, and it was all great, and it moved me, and it made me, maybe you had a little tear in the eye or whatever. You, ra- you actually raised your hands. You did whatever, the whole thing. Like, you were bought in. You had a moment of worship. You had a moment of closeness to God. You had a moment of affection and stirred for God. And then later that night or the next day or the next night, you're right there at the thing. You're like, I, I cannot believe I just... I just turned to that ugly thing. I just went to the thing that I've been trying to leave. I just went to the thing that I know is destructive. I just went to the thing that I know is harmful. I just went to the thing that continually brings up regret every time I go to that thing. You see, what James is saying is that when we do that, we, we deceive ourselves. If you've ever been like in a, at a moment, maybe even a season of your life where you just felt like God's just really all over me and then you, you drifted from that and you drifted from that and, and people around you, people who are close to you, people who are in your faith community, they're like, I don't, I don't even know that person anymore. I don't even know that dude anymore. 
I mean, the stuff that he's caught up in now, the stuff that she's doing now, the places that they're going now, the things that they're saying, and like, I don't even know who they are. And, and I've had conversations with some of you where you've gone through those seasons and you've come back here and you're like, I, have, I didn't even recognize myself. That's exactly what James is talking about. That if you just hear the word and you don't do what it says, you are deceiving yourself. You ever know anybody who's like been like super into like a sport or like a hobby um, and, they, and they've got like all the gear, like the best gear. Like you're like, dang, man, I didn't even know that gear was out. And they're like, it's not. I just got it. Right. And but but you've never actually seen them like do that particular hobby or like do that particular sport. Right. You ever see that? Like th- that's what James is trying to protect us from. James, James is trying to protect us from being posers, by, by obeying the perfect law that gives freedom. When, when, when Jesus came, he, he, he didn't come and just say, hey, the law, it, it, the law is obsolete. Like, don't, don't, don't obey the law anymore. In, in fact, he supercharged it. Because would you listen to him when, when Jesus says, look, um, the law says don't murder. Well, here's what I say. If you hate your brother... If you hate another person, you've murdered them. And you're like, oh, dang, that sucks. I've, like, murdered, like, my ex-girlfriend, my boss, neighbor. I've, like, murdered a bunch of people. That's terrible, right? So he, he doesn't say just throw the whole law out. Just don't pay any attention to the law. In fact, he, 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 he pumps it up. He pumps it up. He didn't say the law doesn't matter. What Jesus said is, look, it's all about your heart, the, the law of God leads to freedom, but he also knew that we couldn't keep the law of God, so God had to intervene, but when he intervened in grace, he didn't cancel the power of the living in the truth of God's word. God knows that the law is good for us, but he knows that we can't keep the law, so he intervenes on our behalf, and Jesus makes a way for us to come to life, saving us from what would have killed us without his intervention. It's still a great life to follow the laws of God because it's a perfect law that leads to freedom. This, I think, is what ultimately wrecked me and I think what ultimately God used to save me and to just kind of, this is like when all the lights go on. I tell people, when I talk about my conversion, it's like um, if you've ever like strung lights on a house or anything for like at Christmas, you know, you got like all, the lights are all like stapled in kind of all over, right? So the lights are all hung on the house, but until you, like, actually plug the lights in, like, who cares? You just get lights hung all over your house, right? And you look like a hillbilly, right? But when you plug them in, and it's December, um, people are like, oh, I get it. That's amazing. And for me, that's what this was. Because what James is saying, look, he's like, look, it's a good life to follow the laws of God because they lead to freedom. Living your own way doing whatever it is that you want, denying yourself nothing. And if you look throughout the entire scriptures, if you look especially at the book of Ecclesiastes written by the wisest, richest, most influential, powerful man to ever live, it proves to you that living your own way does not lead to freedom. There's a deception that like, okay, if I just do whatever I want, if I just date whoever I want, if I just drink whatever I want, if I just smoke whatever, whatever, the whole thing, if I just buy whatever I want, if I just work as hard as I want, whatever, you plug in whatever the particular thing is. If I just deny myself nothing in those categories, that means to me, I'll have freedom. And every time, with, without fail, it leads to enslavement. 
you become a slave to that thing, to that person, to that idea, to that behavior, to that attitude, to that addiction, without fail, without fail. And I, 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 I have pro- I've said that to this community more times than, than I could count. And also, it has been disregarded probably more than anything I've ever said. And that's saying something, because a lot of what I say gets disregarded. But <laughs> it's just true. This <laughs> is real talk. <laughs> James has got me all pumped up right now. Um, and, and if that's, if you've ever experienced that, you know that to be true. And that, and that, and, and God just absolutely wrecked that for me, for me, because I had lived a life where I just, I denied myself, literally denied myself nothing. And it absolutely enslaved me and sucked the life out of me. So what James is saying, look, keep looking into the law, keep looking into the law because it's perfect. Don't make the mistake of just listening to the word and not doing what the word calls us to do. We are saved by grace alone. Do not miss that. We are saved by grace alone. That applies to everyone. It applies to every situation. No matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how big of a train wreck you think you are, no, no matter, no matter how, what, what the circumstances, you are saved by the grace alone. It applies to everyone. There is no place that God's grace cannot reach. But in the same breath, God is saying to you and to me, grace is meant to work in you and through you so that you can live free.